This series is designed to encourage everyone to engage in a big Bible theme throughout the week. And don't forget to share the teaching link or sermon with your friends. Let's grow together as disciples of Jesus. Oh man, I'm about, I'm about crying. I don't know about y'all, man, but I just love it. I just love it. want more of it. How about you? It's good to be here. Um, yeah, we're continuing this Church at Home series, even though some of us are here, many of us are still at home. And, uh, and so this is a really cool series because it's dealing with some big Bible themes. And if you got the email, you can click on the link and, and do some pre-study or do some after-study, however you want to do it, uh, on, this topic, on this topic. And today is the way of the exile. And so we're going to be uh, wrestling, processing a little bit about what we've gone through, what we're going through, and yet what is to come. Uh, during this COVID crisis, we've all experienced a disruption to the different, different parts of our lives. And it's, it's not just an interruption like a snowstorm or having the flu, but it's a, a disruption to our pattern of life, to our jobs, to our church life, to uh, visiting uh, extended family or hanging out with friends. And so uh, a world that used to be familiar to us is strangely new and so um, we, we're wearing masks and gloves, and there's that little dance we're doing, that little distance dance, you know. Is this a cow? Is that a cow? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, it's just sort of this, this weird thing. And we go to the store, and there's gloves and plexiglass and masks and, and all of that. And so everybody's learning this new body language, this new protocol, and, uh, and, and we're all being affected by this. Before COVID, we had a certain rhythm to our lives, and now that rhythm has been interrupted. And as Christians, how do we respond to big disruptions in our lives? Because it's not just COVID, right? I mean, I've been through divorce. Some of you have been through job loss or, or se- severe uh, health problems, or you've lost a loved one, a spouse, whatever. I mean, there's, there's these big disruptions to our lives. We're not talking about an interruption. We're not talking about a, having the cold or, or, or going on vacation. We're talking about something that really changes the nature of our world. And so, by the way, can I stop here for a second? This is so great, having people to talk to. <laughs> I'll just tell you, you all could fall asleep and I wouldn't care. <laughs> but don't. So anyway, <laughs> for some, some people's lives have been disrupted in a major way, some not so much, but it's affected all of us. And as I re- mention these range of emotions, you can raise your hand if the emotion that I mention is something you've experienced. And if you're watching online because, it's, because some, are, some, some of our family are, you know, just give us a thumbs up or type in that emotion uh, on, on, the, uh, on the comments feed. So uh, how many uh, have experienced sadness, right? We've experienced sadness. How about frustration, right? How about anger? All right, let's see who's going to heaven. Okay, yes, got it. Uh, how about confusion, right? Hopelessness, uh, some, some a little bit, maybe for others, you know, a sense of like, man, is, especially at the beginning when it was such a big monster and we just didn't really know what we were dealing with, you know? Uh, now, l- let, me, let me give you some other ones. Uh, how many have experienced joy? How about right now, right? Peace, right? A peace that passes all understanding. Uh, how about a new sense of clarity? Like what's most important? Have anybody experienced that? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so how about a new purpose? Like, 
right? So I've got a new purpose. Rob's hand's gone up every time I think. <laughs> You're an emotional basket case. <laughs> Let me give you a telephone number. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, just check them all. Check them all. Uh, so this next teaching video is going to deal with uh, helping us work through this question. It's, it's the video that was sent out on the teaching sub subject, and, and I think it will help us begin the process of what we're working through today. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being. But in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So, for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right. This is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it nonviolently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime, but then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile, waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. 
Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But Well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. And so you may not think that you're living in exile or living in Babylon, but the, but the reality is we are. As much as we love our country, as much as we respect uh, the governing authorities around us and, and that do so much work uh, to help support, we are part of a, an eternal kingdom and the church and God's kingdom will outlast any nation on this earth. And so we are living in a time where our culture has redefined what's right and wrong, and we are uh, living through this subversive loyalty. And I'm not, that's not going to be the, the topic of my conversation, although I was tempted to go that way. Uh, I really want us to process, uh, I think it's important that we don't just run ahead and look forward to when everything gets back normal. I think we need to, uh, to, to think about this. And, and so uh, in the Old Testament, there was this nation, Israel, that was carried off to Babylonian captivity. And what Jeremiah says, he says, don't rebel, right? Don't, don't just cave in to all that. He says, adapt and learn how to, how to live in this new land. And so uh, the passage that I want to start with this morning is from Jeremiah as they're getting carried off into Babylonian captivity, the prophet, the preacher of God in, it, in Jerusalem says, build houses and live in them, meaning in Babylon. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters in your marriage. Let me interrupt here just for a second. I read this this morning and I had one guy come to me and says, yes, I've taken wives. I said, that's not what he's meaning, right? <laughs> anyway... Well, just that's a little joke, right? It's kind of light the mood a little bit. Uh, that uh, they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, on on your captor's behalf, for it is the well. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So, so what Jeremiah is saying, he's saying, ad adapt, build, plant. Bless your neighbors. Live life, right? And, 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 and that's exactly what happened. I mean, you could do a, a, a research uh, on Israel's influence in Babylonian nation. It, 
it, it, it's established cities, they brought, they brought their culture in and their influence, and people like Daniel and Nehemiah played a major role in guiding the decisions of the kings who were in power. And so, although it was a bad thing to be, uh, have your home burned and have your life disrupted, God said, when you get there, adapt and, and bless people. And so uh, what, would, what would be the long-term outcome of this would be that many Israelites would remain in those, those Babylonian regions. And that's where we have the establishment of the synagogue, where these Jews who did not return or couldn't return back to Jerusalem to worship established these remote places of worship called synagogues. And when Jesus and his apostles come in to preach the gospel, guess where they start? In those synagogues. So no one could see that. No one could see how that would work out. You know, when it first happened, when Jerusalem fell to Babylonian captivity in 536 B.C. But, you know, but we advance uh, 560 years ahead and we come to a moment where these events are now playing a role into the advancement of the gospel. So in processing what's going on in our lives, take stock in this. this God has not been surprised by this. God is going to use this. And how we respond to it is what, what, is what we need to do today. Is like, look at Scripture. Like, how do we properly respond to this big disruption in our lives? All right, so um, what, here, here's, here's the first point. Adapt and bless others. Right? Adapt and bless others. In, dis, in, the, in these disruptive times, I've seen some posts of some really big gardens. One thing you can't buy in Chatham is seed. That's what I've been told. Anyway, uh, my wife has got out her sewing machine. She's sewing masks, and then she, she, then she's sewing bowl koozies. Anybody know what a bowl koozie is, right? And then she sewed plate koozies. That was my suggestion. We're going to be millionaires. But anyway, people are, uh, you know, these these videos, family videos on YouTube, and 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 family hikes and family game night. That people are adapting, and some of those adaptations are, are things that are really good, really industrious things to do as church we've never really closed we've just adapted we went to church online some people were attending uh, drive-in churches at other places making new friends uh, visiting uh, people that they maybe haven't seen in a long time and and so through our online broadcast we've connected with new friends uh, we've connected with some old friends that we haven't heard from or seen from in a while uh, FaceTime, live chats, and, and Zoom calls, and all those types of things, a Zoom small group, we're adapting. You know, uh, uh, this is what the Lord would teach us from Scripture, is that there's some adaptations that are going to be really good for moving forward. So we didn't have an Easter service when Easter came, but we're going to have one. When some of this normalizes, we're going to have a, a great celebration, trust me on that, but Lord willing... Uh, trust the Lord on that, um, but, but, but do you realize that because COVID-19 and the churches were closed, that more people in the United States of America heard the gospel presentation about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ than ever before? Like, never has that many people in America heard the gospel until this happened. So, so there's a lot of people. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that all responded into people making decisions of faith, but at least they heard the gospel. 
right? And so, so this is a good thing that came out of a bad situation as much as it troubles us to have lose something that we were used to experiencing, right? And so um, how about Samaritan's Purse, the hospital? Uh, they got an invitation from New York City to set up their remote hospital that had, you know, uh, done so well with the Ebola crisis in Africa. They set up in Central Park, and Franklin Graham preaches the gospel to gatherers out in New York City. And they treated over 300 patients. The kicker is, as they dismantled and sent home, the, one, of the, one of the tax people in New York City sent, sent a bill, tax bill, for everybody who worked in the hospital, volunteers, right? Like, you worked in our state, so you have to pay, you know, ah, it's just like, well, whatever, you know. Uh, that's what happens sometimes. But, but anyway, I'm concerned that as we return back to a form of normalized worship, that we miss opportunities that have, that have been created out of this. We've reached new people and new friends that, that we, didn't, we wouldn't have had done before. We've adopted some new practices that are important for, for, for the online world. Do you know we need to establish the kingdom here and in the virtual world? We're called to the whole world. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go into the whole world. And part of that whole world is the virtual world. And so... Um, I just like to, you know, for those who are watching online, that they might post, like, what are, what are one of the ways that, that they have adapted in moving forward? Is there anybody here that just maybe one word or two words say, this is how I adapted? Anybody made an adaptation through this experience? Anybody want to shout it out? Anybody brave enough? What? Oh, yep, yep. Trying to connect to the Internet, trying to connect spiritual growth through the Internet. Anybody else? Yeah, how many are reading their Bible more? How many have more time to pray? How many are more concerned about people who are shut in? Yeah, I went by, some of us went by the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, rehabilitation places here in, in Chatham, knocking on widows, saying hi to people, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. See, what I'm saying is like, don't lose that. God disrupted our lives to get us to change. Because every once in a while, we need to be shake and bake, baby. We need to change, right? And something good will come out of that. I'm hungry for chicken. How about you? All right, so now I want to look at the early church in, uh, in Rome and, and how they responded to the crisis in their life. You might recognize that figure. That's supposed to be Nero. That's Rome burning. And we're going to be looking at uh, a couple passages from 1 Peter, which was written about 64 A.D., it appears that it's written just prior to the burning of Rome, as best as I understand history, so I'm not sure exactly that moment. But the point is that Peter writes these letters to help these Christians work through the disruption in their life, the, the, the subsequent escalating persecution that will result as Nero blames the Christians for the burning of Rome. And so could you imagine you being blamed for the COVID crisis, like Christians did it, like, and, and everybody turns against us, right? Like, that's what happened to them. Those terrible events, those awful events to, those, to that church in Rome, set the stage for the global expansion of the gospel. Had it not been for the persecution, the burning of Rome, the three plagues that hit that hit that empire, the invading, uh, the invaders from the north, that, that had it not been for that, the church would have remained in that area, but it, it, it launched it out. 
And so, those, so, so Peter writes to these Christians whose lives have been majorly disrupted, these words. In all of this, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says rejoice. Thanks, Peter. It's not the things that I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. It's things that I do, right? How many of you are super happy all this is going on? And Peter says, rejoice. James starts out his letter with these words. When trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Where are these guys coming from? Are they drinking? I don't know what they're... I mean, no. You know what? They're telling us that God will disrupt our lives and we should seize it as an opportunity to trust him more and to look at where he's leading us. The rejoicing, the, the joy is not in the present troubles. So when you read this, rejoice or James, take, you know, have joy. In your, it's not because of the present. It's because we're looking more longingly towards the future, right? Uh, we're, we're embracing the future. The reason I say over and over again is this is not all there is. It's because this is not all there is. And when you, when our world is all about this part, whatever that present part is, and that gets disrupted, and it messes up our joy, we're holding on too much to this world. Our future is where our joy's at. And, and so this is, this is so important that we remember what God is teaching us here. You know that old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know this old hymn, and so we sing these words, but it's not until some big disruption happens that we begin to like, oh, I'm really supposed to do that, right? And so, suffering and sorrow belong to the present, but not to the future. Suffering and sorrow belong to the present, but not to the future. Our hope is not restoring the past. And, you know, our hope is looking ahead. I keep saying that to myself as much as to you. And so, Peter says, these trials, these disruptions, they refine us. They remove the impurities. And so the refiner would take the precious metal, he would put it in the pot, he would heat that pot to it, it became molten. And as the impurities would separate from the pure ore, they would rise to the top and he would skim off the impurities and cast them aside. And then, you know, what was reflected into that pure molten ore of, of great worth? The refiner's reflection. As the refiner looked down into the molten model, he saw himself. We're going through this right now so we can be more like Jesus. Now you should be happy. Right now you should be happy. And so uh, Peter says, th then he says at the end of this, he says, until Christ is revealed, Peter's pointing them forward. Recognize the test and look forward. Say, this is a test. This is a refining moment for me, for the church. This is a moment where, where God is removing some things that aren't that important. So that we can focus on what's most important. And he's getting us to look forward. As You know, I was a mechanic for a long time. Still am. I mean, I still... But, 
But there comes a point in time with any piece of equipment that it becomes more costly to repair, right? Like it, it, it's life, it, it comes to an end. And that's kind of the way this old world is. It's like an old truck. And you keep repairing it, and you keep patching it, and you keep moving it forward. But at some point in time, crankshaft breaks or the frame breaks in two, and it's just not worth it. This world started out perfect. Sin broke it. And so we're moving forward to a time where God's going to say, okay, we're starting all over without sin and without the effect of all that bad stuff. And so I want to close this story that, we're been, that we've been going through today with another story about a man who faced terrible disruption in his life and how his response illustrates these two responses that we've been talking about today. This guy's name is Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was the highest-ranking U.S. military officer in Hanoi Hilton, a prisoner of war camp during the height of the Vietnam War. He was tortured over 20 times from 1965 to 1973. He would disfigure his face so he could not be used in the propaganda films that said that the, the, the prisoners of war in Vietnam were being treated kindly. Like, that's what he would do. Uh, <clears throat> he lived in that period of time with no, no set release date, no certainty as to whether he would ever survive to see his family again. And in his book, Jim Collins' book, From Good to Great, he interviewed Jim Stockdale and asked him how he survived. So if you want to write something down, I'm about to put it up on the screen. If you want to get a tattoo on your neighbor's, neighbor's forehead, you know, here it is. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. That was his response when Colin said, how did you survive? And so he, he asked him a little bit further. He says, uh, Stockdale says, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but I also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which I, in retrospect, would not trade. Would not trade. Like, if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have learned this. And then Collins asked him, you made it out. Tell me about those who didn't make it out. And he said, oh, that's easy. The optimist. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas. And again, and they died of a broken And after a long pause, as Collins and Stockdale are walking, and Stockdale has to drag his leg from all the beatings that damage his leg permanently, Stockdale turns to him and he says, he says this. This is a very important lesson. He's looking right in Collins' eyes. He says, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. This statement led to what is termed the Stockdale Paradox. A paradox that first doesn't make sense, but it proves out to be true. That on one hand, you never give up hope. one hand, you never give up hope. Because you know who's going to write the final chapter of your life. You never give up hope. But on the other hand, you measure what you're going through. You don't turn aside from it. You don't say, well, everything's going to go back to normal one day. Don't say that. Because people who say everything's going to return just as it was, they might be sadly disappointed. And, and, and our hope is not in the past. Our hope is in the future. 
But we take stock of what we're going through. So the way of the exile echoes this truth, this what Stockdale has experienced. On one hand, we have this future hope. But it is tethered to our current reality. And so we recognize, mourn, be sad, be angry, be, be disgruntled, but don't, don't, don't stay there because the, the, the past isn't going to come back. Look ahead and recognize that this disruption is teaching us all something. And so, you know, we know the last chapter of our story, at least at a congregational level. It's called the book of Revelation. And I read it, and I'm sure most of you have read it. And here's the summary of Revelation. We win completely. Did you get it? You see what I'm saying? It's, but if you read the first part of Revelation, the church goes through some horrible events, and that's the fall of Rome. And that thing might be repeated uh, you know, as time progresses. But let me close with Peter's words to the church in that first book who are going through this great difficulty. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you not think Jesus' life was completely disrupted when he left his home and stepped into our world and had to walk in the filth of sin that, that exists in humanity? Do you not think Jesus was distraught and, and so disturbed when he was separated from his loved ones and from his family, when he was hanging, hanging naked on a cross. Do you not think Jesus has experienced so much more than what we've gone through? And we just get a little taste of it. You know, we just miss a few weeks. Well, more than a few weeks now. But, you know, like that makes us sad and angry. But, but think about the disruption into Jesus' life. Not just leaving heaven and coming to earth, but also his earthly life. And so God isn't surprised by COVID-19, and he's not going to be surprised by the next world pandemic. He's not going to be surprised by the next world war. He's not going to be surprised by the next financial collapse. He's not going to be surprised. We don't need to be surprised either because he's writing the final chapter. But we also have to take stock in what we're dealing with here. and We can't stick our head in the sand and say everything's going to be just the way it was. Because there will be changes, but some of those changes will push us, will push us into sharing the gospel even better in new ways. And really pull away some of the things that really weren't that important anyway. So adapt and bless others and recognize that the test is looking forward to God who writes the last chapter. I'd like to close with a prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to... To, to preach this message, and it's tough. I wanted to preach a message about hallelujah, we're all coming back and everything's going to be normal and everybody's here, but that's not the reality. The reality is, Father, that there's some sadness and there's some frustration and people are still uh, dealing with the fearful outcomes of what all this might be. And, and so, so there's, a lot, there's a lot of processing that's still going on. And it's important for us, Lord, help us understand your will in this moment as our lives have been majorly disrupted. And Father, help us to just look forward to the final chapter that we know no matter what happens in this world, you write the end of our story. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.